to the Water with Lemon podcast. This is Emma Cook, your host. I am super pumped that you are listening. This is a podcast by 20-something for 20-somethings, where we dive into the real and the raw, the uncomfortable and the messy. My goal is to be the voice for this generation of ladies who are struggling to find our purpose and passion, and to encourage you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Today on the podcast, I have the one and only Jen Wilkin coming on to talk about studying the Word. Jen gives us some really practical ways to study the Word and challenges us to be discerning with the resources we are using in our time with the Lord. I'm excited for you guys to hear, so let's get on with it. Hey Jen, I'm so excited to have you on the Water with Lemon podcast today. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, I'm so pumped to talk to you. But will you just start off and just tell us a little bit about yourself and what your life looks like these days? Yeah, I am married to Jeff. We've been married for 25 years this past June. It's going great. Really like each other. We have four (laughs) children. and Their ages are 22, 21, 20, and 18. And the 18-year-old just mutinously left us for college Mm. and office. So we're officially empty nesters. Are they all yeah. in Gigum Land or? They are. Yeah. Well, so my my oldest graduated in May. Uh, and then, so I've got three that are there right now. Yeah. Great. All Aggies. They made a right choice. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And I work at the village. I should keep talking. I work at the village church. I am the director of classes and curriculum. And my favorite part of that is that I teach our women's Bible study on Tuesdays currently doing First Samuel, and my big deal is uh, talking about Bible literacy in the church, specifically among women, but it's not just a women problem, so happy to talk to the men about it, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I love, I have such privilege, side plug, to get to come to your classes. I learned so much from you, so that's great. Um, so I want to talk to you today uh, just about the how and the why of studying the Word. So I love to just start with why we study the Word. So would you talk a little bit about that? Because it's, I feel like it is really easy for us to get caught up um, as Christians in just checking the boxes of, okay, I need to have my quiet time in the morning, check. I need to go to church and study the Bible, check. And so why should we take the time to actually study the Word? Yeah, well, I think that the the misperception can be that you want to study the Bible so that you can know the Bible, although that is certainly something that we should want. We should want to know our sacred text because we're staking everything on its words. Um, and, uh, and so it is important, especially as we're heading into a, a secular culture, a post-Christian culture in the United States. And, you know, a lot of places are already there. It's important that we own our faith by, by knowing our sacred text. But the end objective of spending time in the scriptures is always that we would know God, you know, mm-hmm. not that just that we would know our Bibles. Um, the Pharisees knew their Bibles. They didn't, they didn't know the God of the Bible though. Um, and so as those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who believe that what the Bible says about itself is true, that it is living and active and able to judge our thoughts and intentions, uh, we should understand that time spent in the Bible is time spent so that we would know God and so that we would be transformed by that knowledge, even to the the deepest levels of who we are. Hmm, I love that. That's great. Do you know just some Give us maybe some statistics or just anything you know just about how we know the Bible in today's world. What's like the Bible literacy 
um, for our culture these days. Well, it's interesting because I would say that we have a compounded problem. There's a there's a crisis within the church around Bible literacy. So we don't know our, our sacred texts. Like if I gave a pop quiz, and I actually do this a lot of times when I speak on Bible literacy, I'll give a 20-question pop quiz to the audience. Mm-hmm. And it's just actual questions. I'm not asking them to like elaborate on the relationship of the Trinity or, you know, talk about... Um, uh, the nature of salvation or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, who, who said to whom, um, God looks on the intentions of the heart, but man looks on the outside, those kinds of things, just factual Mm -hmm. questions. And, and everybody bombs it. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that what we start to see is that there, we've made an assumption in, in the church that everyone has baseline knowledge of the text and therefore we can, um, gravitate toward doing topical studies or topical, um, preaching. We can just tell them about the Bible, um, because all of those kinds of materials are, are assuming like a study on, um, having peace in your life is actually assuming that you actually know the context for which it's going from, from which it's going to pull any of the verses it's going to use. Mm-hmm. And, and people just don't have it. And so you end up with um, people in the church who are taking someone else's word for it on everything that they're hearing because they don't have foundational knowledge. So we're very open to false teaching as a possibility there. So there's a there's a Bible literacy problem in the sense that people don't think of the Bible as a book that they can read with the same kind of critical thinking patterns that they would use to read any other book. Mm. Um, but that Bible literacy problem exists as a subset of really just a literacy problem in the general population mm-hmm. that most of us didn't really ever learn how to read a book, much less the Bible. Uh, we know how to read for pleasure and we, we might read something for information, but to read an idea or a concept or a story that is making a point mm-hmm. and derive more from it than just how I personally read it, you know, to understand that authors write things with intent and to ask basic fundamental questions of any text is something, is just a, a muscle that most of us haven't learned to flex. Mm, yeah. So that's, that's what I'm so trying true. to do. I'm, trying to give women basic tools to be able to feel more comfortable in the Bible, no matter what portion of it they're reading by teaching them just some basic interpretation skills. Right. And that's so great. I was thinking about how I feel like nowadays we have so many materials out there for Bible study or, um, you know, as technology has grown, there's so much out there for you to be able to get your hands on. It's almost like we're confused about what to choose because there is so much out there and not sure like how to discern. Is this something that is going to help me study the Bible or is this something that's just going to kind of give me what I need in that moment, you know, kind of right. thing or like, Ooh, that sounds good. I need something on peace. I need something on anxiety. And so I'm just going to like read this little excerpt, but we're not really like learning anything about the text. So do you have any thoughts on just all the resources that are being thrown out at us? Yeah, I mean, it's like a smorgasbord out there. And it all to the to the undiscerning eye, it it seems like, oh, well, I mean, all of this is going to have some positive benefit, right? So I should just pick whichever one seems the most appealing or the most accessible, and and just do that one. And um, I would, I would argue that that's actually not a great idea. In fact, a lot of what's out there is probably not as beneficial as we might want. And particular resources that are created for women so often are trying to um, engage us at 
wholly at the feelings level, right? They're wanting to give us an emotional response or uh, make us feel comfort or uh, make us feel uh, acceptance or, or whatever it is. And, um, and so when a resource is trying to do that, what it's probably not doing is taking you to portions of the Bible that aren't going to make you feel that way, right? And the, the Bible doesn't always give us the emotional response that uh, that we are looking for. Sometimes it makes us feel terrible uh, in good ways, in healthy ways, right? When we have to self-examine or consider a sin pattern or something like that. So um, some of these resources are, are opting for you to feel um, detached from any kind of, of critical thinking process. And our faith is a faith that involves loving God with all of our minds. I think some of where the breakdown is, is in terminology. Because if you go to the Bible study section of the Christian bookstore, everything in that section will be called a Bible study. Mm -hmm. But in the purest sense of the word, a Bible study is something in which you are actually getting into the text and learning it in some systematic way. And so, um, I just, you know, I meet women who have been in the church their whole lives and they say, no one has ever taught me how to actually, I've done Bible studies, mm -hmm. but it wasn't until I started doing something where you're going through an entire book of the Bible that I realized just how I only have spot knowledge of the text here and there. Uh, so um, I think just by clarifying terms and saying, well, this is a book study, like you're going to read a book someone wrote about a theological concept, but this is a Bible study where you're going to go line by line through the book of Ephesians mm -hmm. um, so that people don't. Uh, get confused about how they're actually allocating their time. Mm -hmm. Some of us have spent enough time in line by line studies and are ready to be spending more time in topical studies. But some of us are spending all, all of our time or most of our time in topical or devotional things. And, and we're not growing in Bible literacy. Mm, that's good. So what should we look for? Like, how would you say we should be studying the word in an effective way? Well, in order to build Bible literacy, first, you have to come to an honest uh, assessment of where you are. How well do you know the Bible? And in my experience, most of us, I would put myself in this category. We don't know it like we should. And so say it. I want to know my Bible better and then um, get into a study pattern that is giving you exposure to an entire book of the Bible from start to finish. Uh, so uh, pick a book and get into it. So there are two different ways you might tackle this. There is a high level uh, approach that would be like a Bible reading plan where you're like, you know what, I just need to get physical, I need to get exposure, eyes on the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so you might take a structured reading plan to get you through the entire Bible in a year, in three years or whatever it is. Um, that is going to be uh, fast paced and, and not particularly deep. You're familiar with the layout of the Bible. But then these book studies where you might say, okay, you know what, I just, I've never studied the book of 1 Samuel. So you're going to take a year or like at the village right now, we're doing um, 22 weeks to go through First and Second Samuel. And we're going to study every single passage in the book from start to finish so that we, we're not going to own like every aspect of interpretation and application. We won't have every single thing you can pull from the book of First and Second Samuel, but could I pass a quiz on First and Second Samuel at the end of the year? Yes. And that's the starting point for being able to get to proper interpretation and application is just actually knowing what it says and looking for the themes and how the message is developed and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. 
So let's say practically some, you know, a girl's like, okay, yes, like, I want to be able to do that. I want to sit down and um, study the word in the right way. What should that practically look like? The most basic tools that you want to use are tools for comprehension, asking what does it say, and then a tool for interpretation, what does it mean, and then tools for application, how should it change me. And the one that we rushed past the quickest because we're like, I just really want to know what I need to do with this, right? Like we are all application hogs by nature. We just want to say, how does it change me? How does it change me? Mm -hmm. But pushing ourselves to spend uh, a lot more time on that first part, what does it say, is a really good exercise for us. And the way we get to comprehension is by, first of all, repetitive reading. So I read the book of First Samuel, and then guess what I do next? I read it again. And then guess what I do next? I read it again. Mm -hmm. And and what I do personally is I go to Bible Gateway and I copy and paste the text a chapter at a time into a document. And then I print out the whole thing double spaced so that I can take notes on it, mark it up, put questions in the in the margin so I can mark repeated words, phrases or ideas so I can write, oh, this is what I'm seeing is true about God here. Um, and I, I mark down all of those observations as I'm going through the text. Here are the kinds of things I'm not writing down when I'm doing the repetitive reading step. I'm not trying to say, oh, you know, this reminds me of the time I had this sin drawn to light and I turned from it. That's that's for later. That's for later. Or, oh, this reminds me, you know, it's not time for uh, reflection and personal application or or for trying to in, in particular for trying to draw personal application like hang, hang on for that. Wait for that until you've really gotten the text under your skin, because you're very likely to apply wrong if you rush to, to do it. So read repetitively, mark up the text, look for those repeated ideas. Uh, and then once you feel like you're really kind of getting it under to where you could pass the pop quiz on it, then start asking some questions about interpretation. Um, what we typically do is in that early stage, we hit something in the text that throws us off and feels confusing to us. And we immediately run to read what a commentary has to say about it. Or we Google an article, we have a study Bible that'll tell us down in the bottom. And I urge women to not do that, to let yourself dwell in the, I don't know, um, and feel the extent of what you don't know so that you can have your aha moment hit you when it should. There is an appropriate time to start looking at commentaries, but it's often much later in the study process than we would left to our own devices place it, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, because you're in my studies, when I create um, resources, when we're putting together the curriculum, we're, we're asking questions that by a curriculum standpoint seem sort of dry and boring because we're not um, giving you stories or telling you what it means. We want you to fight through those ideas and then, and then sit under teaching, uh, after you. And so, so you move from comprehension to interpretation, interpretation, you're going to try to paraphrase things, write them in your own words. Cause then what are you doing? You're trying to get closer to articulating the meaning. And then after you've done good work around summarizing or paraphrasing, uh, you can start to look and see, what other people said, they interpreted it to, to be. Go to some good, reliable commentaries. Uh, and then guess what you find when you go to commentaries? Not everyone's saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. So how do you decide which interpretation is the one you should go with? Well, at that point, you rely on your best reading of the text. Yours, not what your pastor said, not what I said. Your mm-hmm. best reading of the text. Mm, that's good. Yeah, because there's going to be different 
those people are writing it. Those human beings are writing those commentaries, right. right? So it's like, right. it's not necessarily going to be a perfect one. Um, you should rely on what the Holy Spirit is, is leading you to, right? Yeah. And love him with your mind, right? Like you will give an account to God for how well you loved him with your mind. And mm-hmm. so it's okay if you maybe on your second reading through and you went to the commentaries and you chose an interpretation that seemed the best, but then you come back four months later and you're like, I actually think that was off. Mm-hmm in process we're allowed to be learning over a course of days and years and months Mm -hmm. and I as you were talking I was thinking about my um my age group of 20s you my audience and we're millennials and we're known for wanting instant gratification and so I think this is something that is really hard for us because there are so many different things out there that are like okay you can do this study in five minutes or ten minutes every morning or um, you can read through this and there you go that's your little fill for the day and so we're all about the instant and so what you're saying is like no you need to take time to study and see what the Lord is going to reveal to you in that. And it's not necessarily going to be super fun because it's not going to give you your, what you need for when am I going to get a husband tomorrow? It's instead, (laughs) (laughs) instead, it's going to be something where you just might have to just study and get to know God in a different way than you thought you wanted to. Right. And so I think that's something that's really hard and, this word is thrown, or these words are thrown around all the time of having like a quiet time. Yeah. Um, so what are like your thoughts on this, like quiet time, 10 minutes in the morning, make sure you do it to get your fill of Jesus kind of thing. Yeah. I think that the idea of the quiet time, while not in and of itself bad, I mean, I think there are people who probably utilize the tool in ways that are helpful, but we actually, you know, like would question someone's faith if we found out they didn't have a quiet time. Sometimes it feels like it's, like, it's not actually in the Bible. Um, but um, so, yes, should we be spending regular time in the word? Yes, we should. Do you slavishly need to spend 10 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day in, in the Bible? Well, I hope not because I don't. Um, I have never had a quiet time. I did not even train my children to have quiet times. My husband doesn't have a quiet time. Uh, but it's clear that we value and and spend time in the word. Mm-hmm. And so um, if all you are doing is giving 10 minutes, five days or seven days a week to the scriptures, you can accomplish something in a time like that, but you can probably only accomplish something devotional. Um, so you're going to, you know, read something that gives you a verse and then gives you an idea around it and has prayer at the bottom. You might meditate on it for a while and then go about your day. But if you're trying to read 50 chapters in Genesis, you know, that it, then having a quiet time is going to be a tough fit. Like it, for some of us, based on where we are in our knowledge of the scriptures, it would be better for us to have two days a week where we spent 45 minutes versus trying to allocate these tiny little increments across the week. Uh, I mean, ideally, you could do both. You could do 10 minutes in the morning where you just use that time for prayer, or journaling or whatever. Right. But to say that that's the equivalent of studying the Bible is is a little misleading. So, um, you know, a lot of times you, I meet people who are like, I've always had a quiet time. I've used all these resources and and yet here they are. They still don't know the Bible because you just, there's only so much you can do in a space like that. Right. Okay. So we've made it to the last three questions that I ask every guest. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, So the first one is, and this is always hard for people because 
you're going to say, how do I pick one? But what is one thing you wish you knew as a 20-something? Um, You know, I wish I had known that I had a lifetime to grow into spiritual maturity. I wish I had known to be more patient with myself. Um, you know, it's funny, you were talking about millennials and instant gratification. And I do think it expresses itself in a unique way among millennials. I have four that I gave birth to, so I have a real soft spot for them. I do. Mm -hmm. I don't like when people say ugly things about them. Um, but I think instant gratification is a very human uh, sin pattern for all of us. It just looks a little differently. And so I certainly felt that in my, in my early twenties, you just want it to all be coming together according to your timeline and with a lot of clarity. And the reality of the Christian faith is Christianity is a religion of delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. We await a coming savior. Sanctification takes a long time. And, um, God is patient with us, even when we are not patient with ourselves. And I wish that 20-year-old me would have known that no amount of striving on my part was substitute for reliance on the work of the Holy Spirit and just faithfulness day after day, that there's not a, there's not a shortcut to sanctification, and, and, and that's okay. Mm. That's so good. I totally agree and that's where I'm at you know that's the funny thing about doing this is I'm doing it for 20 somethings but I am one myself and so yeah. <laughs> oh man I can tell you that we're all gonna relate to that a whole lot um okay I think this is an important one especially for our topic today of um are there any resources you could put in our hands around this topic of studying the word besides the bible obviously um, I mean, I wrote a book, Women of the Word, which I wrote specifically because I thought it was hard to find something that, mm -hmm. that talked about these things. And so, yeah, I would absolutely say that book or Kay Arthur has a book on how to study your Bible, which is also good. Um, there are other things out there. There's uh, How to Study the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and McDaniel, I think, or who the authors are on that. But then also I would just say find good um, curricula, like guides that can that can take you through the scriptures in a way that is not so emotive, but is more um, stimulating you to be a good thinker about the text. So I always recommend, because I have a ton of free stuff that I've created that's available on my website, but there's also the Life Change series by Nav Press, and they've written these studies pretty much over every book of the Bible now. And so they're just a really good basic guide to have with you as you try to read through the text. They're going to ask comprehension, interpretation, application questions, because most of us, um, like I can tell you, hey, you should start asking these kinds of questions of the text. But what's better is for you to see the kinds of questions that someone is asking that are good and learn from their questions how to ask better questions yourself. We don't just intuitively know how to do that. So those are some good resources that have helped me learn to be a better question asker and to recognize the difference between a question that is trying to elicit some sort of feeling or immediate um, yield out of the text versus one that is going to yield a long-term gain. Great. Those are great. And I love Women of the Word, and I just want to brag on it for just a sec, because 
I know it was like a book that you're supposed to take some time to read through so that, you know, and I I think I read it in like two days because I was just so like eager to know how to study it in a way that was just not this like, oh, beautiful crafted way, you know, I'm like, I just want to know how to know the word. And so um, I highly recommend it and I've passed it around to many of my friends. So uh, if you're if you want to study the word in this kind of way, I would highly recommend Jen's book and all of your resources, which I'll put your website um, in the show notes um, of our episodes so they can go and see some of those free studies and stuff that you have on there. Right. Yeah. The way I describe the relationship between those is women of the word is me telling you how to cook the pie or the dinner. And, you know, and, and then the studies are me standing next to you in the kitchen while you prepare it. So. <laughs> Yes, I love yeah. that. Uh, and they're so easy to follow. And so thank you for all of those resources that you have provided yeah. for us to be able to do that. Glad to see them get used. Yes. Okay. Lastly, what is refreshing you these days, Jen? Oh, man. <laughs> this is so embarrassing, but absolutely true. My pugs are uh, my favorites. Yes dogs and I I swore I would never be a dog person in my early days and so it is the Lord's great practical joke on me that now not only am I a dog person but I own two of the most ridiculous dogs ever (laughs) by humankind and I like once Calvin left for college I was like well I guess these are my babies now and so I think it's gotten even more embarrassing but uh yeah I like those dogs so much they're so cute oh little cuties you post pictures on your Instagram of them yeah you know with Instagram and I actually that's another thing I love uh I love Instagram it's like the last happy place on social media and I remember when I started that account I was like you know what I don't need is another place right to fritter time but Instagram is so, to me, optimistic and uplifting. And I know that people yell at it because they say it's idealized. But I'm like, if everybody understands that we're coming out here to celebrate beauty, mm-hmm. then we don't have to say, why did she only take a picture of the clean side of her living room? We can be like, oh, that was she tried to create art on the clean side of her living room. I'm for that. <laughs> and so when I got out there on Instagram, I was like, you know what? On Twitter, I don't know. It's just like a fight out there. And Facebook, it's like everybody's talking about politics or mm-hmm. whatever, MLM, whatever they're selling. And and <laughs> um, But Instagram, I was like, if I want to post pictures of my dog or my dinner, like no one gets to tell me the rules out here. Yes. I'm going to just, and I've loved it. That's so true. I've never thought about that. It really is the only, one of the only happy places left out there on social media. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> celebrate each other nobody trolls you on instagram you know like oh i love it yeah (laughs) and we say it is like very curated sometimes and but okay let people do what they want to do to make art or make you know just something good out of their lives you know yeah yeah it is i see it as art projects presented by the everyday person i love it yeah that's so true i love it too there you go two pugs and instagram Great yeah, and of Instagram. Yeah, I combine <laughs> the two. For the, for the home. So true. They're so cute. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for coming on today. I super appreciate it. And I think that it'll be really helpful for my listeners just to know how to study the word in a way that is helpful for us to just know uh, the God of the Bible better. So thank you. Oh, happy to do it. Thanks for the conversation. Yes, thanks, Jen. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jen today. 
My favorite part is when she talked about what she wished she knew as a 20-something. And I can say from personal experience, I don't know about you guys, but it's really hard to be okay with not being totally okay and having to wait for sanctification. There's so many areas of my life where I wish I had it all figured out, but that's just not how the Lord works. And so Jen gave me that encouragement today. So yes, it stinks that it's a slow process, but I was so encouraged by Jen's words and the hope of our coming King. If you liked today's episode, will you please go leave a rating and review on iTunes or share about this episode with a friend? One practical way you could do that is go on our Instagram and share our post. You can find us at Water with Lemon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today and stay fresh, my people.